1: Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have as long as they're financial. 888 99 Charter our number, 888 992
2: 4278. Let's go to John in the Bay Area talking about rental properties.
3: Hey, Justin, how's it going? Um, I heard Steve last week talk about renting versus buying, and I purchased a property about 10 months ago through a brokerage which um, gives you a below market interest rate. My lender is Bank of America and they said, after 12 months I can rent out the property, however the broker's contingency is that it has to be owner occupied. I was wondering if I rent it out, will the lender contact the broker to not let them know I'm renting out the property?
2: It's unlikely, to be honest. Okay. It's unlikely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, i don't i wouldn't i, I would worry about it um they just want it they want to make sure that you're paying the mortgage that's ultimately what what they want um and so will they will they tell them maybe and maybe they won't and, and most likely they wouldn't do anything even if they did tell them um but I think both are are unlikely so i wouldn't i wouldn't worry about it too much um so it sounds like you're living there right now and then you're you're going to turn into a rental
3: I'm hoping to because I, I don't really like living here that much but I'm just a bit nervous because I did sign some paperwork saying that if the brokerage finds out that I'm renting it there's a $25,000 fine and an automatic foreclosure <laughs> so
2: I don't huh. wanna,
3: I don't want to do anything that causes me issues in the long run
2: yeah I mean I then I would I would definitely consult with more of a real estate attorney uh, with that uh, and then look at that verbiage and make sure you you don't get hit with that. Um, but you know, that's a, it's a good lesson, uh, to everyone out there it, when you're committing to a property, you, you know, you, you want to make sure you really love it. Um, especially in an environment like this, uh, did you move from a different area or is this something that, uh, you live there for a while, live in that area for a while?
3: Uh well, I lived, in, I, I called you guys about this house a few months ago, but I lived in the East Bay area and I moved mm-hmm. to Solana County in Vallejo and I don't really like living here mm-hmm. and, um, I don't, I don't really want to hang on to the place. So I'm just trying to see what my options are.
2: Well, you could always sell it.
3: Yeah, I, I could, but then I, I would take a loss, but I, I think I'd, I'd be better off selling, selling it if I can't rent it out because I, yeah. I wouldn't want to live here too much longer.
2: Got it. Okay. Well, good luck. Yeah. yeah. I would talk to a real estate lawyer and have them look over those, uh, those stipulations and, and, advise you because obviously I don't know enough about it to really give you, uh, the perfect okay. advice, but I would definitely consult a professional. Thanks for the call. Okay. And that's, that's a, that's a great lesson there. And this is what I've been saying for really the past two, three years, uh, for our listeners, clients and saying, you know, when you're going to buy a property, buy a property it's, and this is, I think this is going to be for the next 10, 20, 30 years. You know, we talked about interest rates being in a thirty-year up and down cycle. It's typically how interest rates move: thirty years up, thirty years down. This recent cycle is a little bit longer. It was exaggerated, closer to uh, you know thirty-five years from the peak, uh, and back in you know eighty-two. And so, you're now in an environment where interest rates are going up, and that means something very different for owning a property. It means that. If you're not guaranteed price appreciation anymore, because you're not going to have interest rates consistently moving down to inflate the value of properties, that's just not a scenario that's likely to play out going forward. Are interest rates going to go, you know, mortgage rates were, let's call them 20% in the early 80s, and then they went all the way to 3%. Are we going to go to negative, what would that be? What would that delta be? Uh, Negative 14% over the next 30 years in mortgage rates probably not right so best case scenario mortgage rates are going to fluctuate between 5 and 7% for a long t- time i think that's best case worst case you get you know mortgage rates back into the you know low teens and probably not happening anytime soon but could that happen 15 years from now sure so when you're committing to a property it's it's a big commitment, and you need to make sure all the boxes are checked. I've said this consistently. All the boxes, because you don't want to be like that caller, like John, and saying, "Oh, well, now I'm upstanding on the property, and now I do I rent it? Can I rent it? Should I rent it?" No. The easiest thing is be patient. It's an environment where, unless you love it. Wait, I just bought a house, right? I love it, I love it. I don't really care whether the price of the property goes up a little, down a little, don't care. I'm gonna live here for a long time. So, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't worry about it. But for somebody else, for all of you out there, if you're going to buy a house, your own personal property, you need to make sure that it checks all the boxes, and then when it comes to owning a rental property, right? You need to make sure that your yield is much higher than your cost of capital, the cost of the the mortgage on that property, at least by a hundred basis points. And then you need to know the surrounding economy is going to do fairly well. You need to have, you need to really have all your numbers dialed in, especially when you can go get CDs at four four and a half percent or go buy corporate bonds at seven percent right much better alternatives today than there have been in the past especially for uh your cash <clears throat> and the value you have stuck in rentals
1: you can call right now and be part of the program let's hear about what your talking point is 888-99-CHART 888-992-4278 and you can get through right now
4: When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, How do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times.
3: Just wanted to get your opinion on J.P. Morgan and BAC.
5: How do you see this? uh, Looking forward I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds.
4: And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why
2: it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Beasley. I kind
1: of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson food, this is where I'd buy it.
7: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
1: So, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to get, thank them with a courtesy effort to get to their questions quickly. So, this is from Clont12 How much cash? I often hear about the big investors like Warren Buffett sitting on large amounts of cash. I don't typically hear average investors talk about doing that. It seems most of us think we should have all our available investable funds in the market. What percentage of our portfolio should be held in cash? Well, that changes over time. Everybody, it, you just you don't you don't know for sure. That, what you should have any one time in history. And some of it has to relate, it relates to you, how much cash you feel comfortable having, or that your needs for the cash. But if you're a typical investor and you want to be in the market most of the time, uh, you would never be out more than, I would say, 20 to 25% cash. You'd never have more than that. You're mostly invested. And then that 20%, 25% of cash is for investing, not for just sitting in cash. For investing, you know, at an opportune time. And the opportune time is at the depth of a recession. Now, we talked about Berkshire Hathaway sitting on what? I think it was bill It's billions of dollars. I know how it's billions. Okay, and they're sitting on it. Why? Not because they don't want to be invested, because they can't find enough value stocks they want to invest in i think uh Warren buffett's most recent purchase or recent purchases is in one of the i think it's occidental petroleum you know i think that that's you know billions of dollars into that one stock by the way a lot so so it, it, i can't answer the question specifically because i need to know what you feel comfortable with and everybody has to ask that of themselves How, what do i feel comfortable with and, you know, uh, at this time, I would have more cash than normal simply because, it, you know, we might have opportunities for better pricing. Last year, we had a 20% correction in the S&P 500, okay? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we have another correction this year, and that's a correction to invest,
4: Okay. Let's go to
2: Joseph in Kentucky. He wants to talk about index funds. Hey,
8: thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, so I'm 44. Just turned 44 a couple days ago, and I've invested in um, SPY since I was like a teenager. But and I transitioned over to Vanguard's total stock market fund. But my uncle, God rest his soul, he like after the financial crisis, he said, uh, just if you're going to do a single stock. He said, you know, being from Kentucky, he said, put your money in Churchill Downs, uh, CHDN. And I've been putting money away since right around the financial crisis. Never have souls. It's, it's, you know, a lot of people don't talk about that as a stock, but it's been killer over the years. Yeah. And I think it has a really good moat. But obviously there's competition in that sector or in that industry with gambling. But um, Kentucky recently legalized horse gambling, I was just curious from your professional experience, it's done really well for me over the years. I think it still has a good run left in it, but I was just curious what your professional thoughts based on uh, the stock and the company uh, going forward maybe for the next five, seven years.
2: Well, uh, we had a call on this, I believe, last week. And you know, it's obviously have, having nice growth and the gambling trends around the country are to become more open and allow people to gamble uh, more in, in more uh, areas besides just Nevada and, and uh, you know select Indian uh, reservations et cetera, and I think that's just a, a trend. I think it's going to happen with a lot of uh, call them sin industries, right? From uh, cannabis, right, uh, probably going to be legalized at some point, and uh, you know. Th- this is uh, just part of that trend. Uh, and so you're right. They do have a good economic moat. Uh, they're they're the name in horse racing, right? And so I think, uh, this is a solid name. Is it uh, a bit expensive right now? Probably. Um, but earnings continue to ramp higher and expectations continue to go up. So, um, you know, I would worry for you, it sounds like you've been putting a lot of money away in it. so it's probably, uh, maybe too overweight your, your overall portfolio. So, in good times, you know, I've learned throughout history that in good times, that's when you want to be thinking about trimming your position. Obviously, from a tax perspective, you want to keep an eye on that and make sure you're not selling too much and creating uh, too big a tax problems. But uh, these times are when you want to slowly diversify into uh, big moves higher. Um, so I don't know what a percentage your overall liquid assets are. You probably want to keep that less than 20%, hopefully less than 10% really, uh, of this particular name. Um, but I see no problem in the near term. Just know that you know with the legalization of gambling that uh, you know does a, another name come in and try to usurp their their, their stranglehold on, the, uh, on on the horse racing? market, right? Is it MGM? They, maybe they find it as a, uh, a growth driver, and they start to invest in uh, horse, uh, rate, horse tracks throughout the country. Uh, and that could you know create a, a, a big competitor um, for them. And that's always a possibility. This is what business is about, right? Capitalism is about, it's about competition. And right now, I don't see a, a, a big competitor to them. So I don't see anything near term, but know that down the line, that certainly could happen. And that's why you don't want to get overexposed to just one name. Thanks for the call.
1: You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99 chart. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions.
7: To an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
3: Hi, Steve and Justin. My name is Brent
8: Davis. I'm calling from Sarasota, Florida. I've been a long time listener, and I just remember listening one fateful day in October when Justin said, oh, I think we've reached bottom. And ever since then, I've just been kind of paying attention and noticing that, in fact, that was prophetic. And I was just wondering, what did he see that he could share with the rest of us that indicated that we had, in fact, reached a bottom? Thank you for your time. I'll look forward to listening on the show. Thank you.
1: Well, you know, I I remember talking to to Justin around that period of time, and we were discussing at length why we felt that the market probably uh, is done with most of its fall. And it fell about, what, 19%? The S&P 500 fell to 19%. The tech-heavy Nasdaq fell more than that. Value stocks fell much less than that. So it was a range from like 10 11% fall to like 30% fall. But the S&P was about 19%. And we felt, you know, that's historically about what it would fall in a bear market. A little less, maybe a little bit more, but we're getting close. We felt we were getting close. We felt that the... The Federal Reserve is probably going to raise the rates a few more times, but are getting close to being done, and that we will see inflation this year start to come off its high, which it has. And we were talking about this in the end of last year, what we projected for this year. Now that doesn't mean we're we are we're still in our bear market. It's still flumping around, having trouble getting off the ground. We may have a retest of the lows. It might go lower than the lows, especially if the debt ceiling issue doesn't get straightened out. You know, and uh, we go and default on some of our treasuries or whatever. Yeah, the market. Uh, if you remember right, the last time that that happened was in back in the two thousand eight period, and when that. There was no agreement between the House, Senate, and the President about a debt debt issue. The market fell 7%. It was already in a bear market. The market fell 7% in one day. The S&P 500 fell heavy in one day. And then three days later, they had an agreement on the debt ceiling. That could happen again. That could happen again. So uh, it doesn't mean it will because no one knows. If anybody ever tells you they know what's going to happen, they're lying. No one really knows, but we both feel that the market is probably it probably is going to put it in a bottom this year. Test a re-bottom, maybe that it made last year may retest that and may go lower. But we're getting awful close. So that, this is why you kind of start looking to buy something. Okay?
4: This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial... You can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. The Invest Talk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888 99 Chart.
1: 888 99 Chart. Let's go to Brandon and Ventura. Hi, Brandon. How are you doing? Hello, I'm doing great. Hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for
9: taking my question. Thank you. I've got a unique situation. i love your advice. Uh, So I got a, uh, I know I'm going to have some big purchases. I've got a wedding coming up, and I was able to take a uh, credit card offer with about 15 months of 0% interest. Uh And um, been carrying a balance now, so I paid for the pre-wedding. That's happening next year. My current balance on it is about $8,400, all 0% interest until June Uh, 16th, 2023. So what's nice is I have a minimum payment of $34 a month and I have the money to save. I did the math about 8,400 divided by 13 months from now would be about 640 bucks a month. I want to just make the minimum payment from that. And the other $610 I want to either put into, I've got some high yield savings accounts with interest rates going up around 4%. I've thought about CD accounts or, I was thinking of either some treasury bills or treasury notes with the six hundred and ten dollars every month that I could you know after thirteen months I'll pay off the June sixteenth statement, but in the meantime, in these next thirteen months try to do that six hundred and ten dollars a month and get a little bit of something until then. I wanted to get your advice
1: well, all that sounds pretty good to me. I, I might suggest that since you have zero percent interest on the outstanding outstanding credit balance. You might want to look into see if you can get that zero percent interest by moving it to another credit card. See if it's out there. See if they have any of those offers out there. And uh, you know, I, I've seen people move it around several times just to keep the zero percent interest. It's a pain to always have to apply to another credit card. Blah 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 blah. And you know, some some of them don't like it when you do that. But too bad. Don't make the offer then. But I do like the, this money you're saving is for a wedding, right? It's kind of money you're going to need. So you got to keep it pretty liquid and treasuries, short-term treasuries is a pretty pretty good, pretty good bet because you still make a decent return and it's still very liquid. And I think that your strategy is sound. So uh, I have no problem with that strategy. Sounds good to me. Yeah, you would only want to put in longer-term investments if you know you didn't have to use the money or a wedding, or anything else. So I, I, I like it. I, I like it. It's smart thinking, and I think you, you just keep doing it. Okay, Brandon? All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for the call. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
2: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at hackerone.com. That's H A C K E R O N
7: E.com. HackerOne.com. hackerone.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
1: Paul in San Francisco. How are you doing, Paul? I'm here again. Good. Um, I want to talk about gold and silver as an investment. I see a lot of these commercials for these one of those celebrities and actors and actresses that are the actresses gold and silver, and I think it's not a good investment. But it's probably been in cash. So, what do you think about those? The uh, Peter, shouldn't, Peter shouldn't buy that, I think. Yeah, gold. I, I, I know there's a lot of gold bugs out there, but gold is one of the worst long term investments there are in this, you know, as far as gold and silver. There, you know, if you talk about 10, 20, 30 years, Compare that with the stock market, and stock markets far, far uh, outperformed that. Now, I will say this. I think gold has had – they've had a pretty good year. Last year, they had a terrible year. Uh, This year, they seem to be getting – gold seems to be – Getting better. It's two thousand sixty-two dollars and seventy cents closed today. Actually, this one is still trading. It went down ten cents just now as I'm looking at it. So um, it, it's got above the two thousand. It's it's right. It's right there, ready to break out above its old high It made. What was that? A few months ago, probably. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, not that many long ago. Um, so. Um, I, I think it's going to break out. I think it's going to have one more run. I said that last year and it really didn't run last year, but I still think it's got one more run in, in it and then I, I'd get out. I mean, if you like, you know, you know, uh, Paul, gold is pretty to hold. Coins are really neat looking and it's fun to have them and display them or put them in your safe because you feel comfortable. But as far as an investment, not so good. So- right. Yeah, you know, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it, Paul. Let's get back to Out Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier. 888-99-CHART, Long
8: Island, low contribution limits. Hello, Justin and Steve. First of all, love the podcast. My name is Andy from Long Island. And I was wondering if you had any insight as to why the government puts such a low contribution limit on simple IRAs at $17,000 a year or thirteen five for someone under... 50 years old, as opposed to a 401k, 403b, and so on. I'll be listening. Thank you. How about because we have
1: not very good legislatures? <laughs> you know, why wouldn't they make it the same? This Now, this is simple IRA. Okay, everybody, that's a title of a type of IRA. He's not just saying IRA, and they're simple. No, it's a simple IRA, which is a little bit different. It's not very well known and not very... Uh, not used that often, but he's saying, well, why is, which is, you know, used many times for self-employed people, simple IRAs. He says, why isn't the limits that I can contribute to my simple IRA, why aren't the same as a 401k? Or an individual 401k, which is different than a 401k for a company. There are individual 401 So why are the limits different? And they really shouldn't. There's no common sense as to why they would, other than we have a lazy, lazy legislature who didn't you know, make it the same. Why not make it the same? It makes it easier for everybody all around. But no, we don't want to make it too easy. We want to make it complex. That's the only reason I can give you, because there's really no... Valid reason. There really is no reason it, it should be different.
4: Okay? This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com. Or reach out to Steve Peasley and Justin Klein by emailing or calling their Irvine, California office. The Invest Talk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with questions, 888 99 Chart.
1: Let's go to Dan in Walnut Creek. Hi, Dan. Hi, Steve. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much.
9: Good. Thanks for taking my call today. Hey, um, I've got a question with regards to natural gas stocks. They seem to be going down quite a bit, and I don't know if, if some of this is from the um, regulations that the different states are trying to, cities and states are trying to put in with regards to natural gas in mm-hmm. new buildings yeah,
5: like they're trying to do right now in New stuff. York.
8: Mm-hmm.
9: Yeah. So I've got the DVN, Liberty, LBRT, in Oniok, is that how you pronounce it, O-K-E?
8: Mm-hmm.
9: Um, and I'm not sure if I should hang on to these or what I should do.
1: Well, I think you should. Um, you know, natural gas is a pretty clean energy, and solar power and all those other things are great, but they're nowhere near going to be enough. And natural gas is just going to be more and more important. And we'll be exporting a ton of natural gas in the coming years, especially to Europe, and we all know why, Right. Um, because Europe has been relying on Russia, and that's not been a very good thing for them to do. And I thought it was always foolish that they ever did it. And I mentioned on the air years ago. I said, you know, when they were building out those lines, I was not smart. But natural gas, you got to remember that we are we are the Saudi Arabia of energy. Natural gas, oil, coal. We are the, we have we far out ha, have way more than everybody else in the world, especially natural gas. I think. A, I think it was several hundred years of supply so we're going to be exporting that all over the world you know liquidified natural gas and I think that you know you just got to be in the right ones and you got to remember it's a commodity commodities I think are going to do well for the next few years but it's going to be volatile commodities can be pretty volatile um, I'm holding on to mine but that's one of the reasons why I really 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 want dividends so you can you can live through the dry times when the stock goes down. Dan, appreciate the call. So, yeah, I would still like natural gas.
7: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART.
6: Let's go to Gene in North Carolina. Hi, Gene. How you doing? Hey, Steve. Thank you for taking my call thank you i think maybe about 5 to 10 years ago the the credit agencies credit agencies they downgraded the us treasury the credit rating of the us treasury yes. like one notch from almost perfect down one yes. notch yes and i did. think it might have been due to whether it's the overall deficit or maybe even this uh, debt ceiling type fighting of closing down the government and i'm thinking that you know whether or not it closes down or not it just the fact that they're having a fight now over the debt ceiling do you think that that might cause the credit agencies again to lower the the u.s. credit uh... rating and therefore uh... everything else being the same it it kind of dissuades foreign investment and it causes the u.s. uh, into treasuries and causes that uh... that the treasury has to pay more interest that the act the actual interest that they pay have to be more to to attract such a, to attract the foreign buyers of treasury. Yeah. yeah
1: i think you're right uh i think that it will i i do think it's a problem if they let it go on where they can't come to a, a deal and raise a debt ceiling i think you're going to see if the agencies but by, by the way don't trust the agencies you know if you remember right in 2008 uh, and in 2000, in 2000 with the dot com, all those rating agencies and experts said to buy dot com stocks. In 2008, they had the housing mortgages rated super high. Remember the CDOs and those things? And now, so I don't necessarily buy into what they're saying, but they do affect the price of things. And I do think as we get closer to this default in, in next, the first of the month, that they could downgrade the U.S. debt by a tick. And I, but I think more importantly, I think interest rates are gonna rise for our debt anyways, because we're getting so much debt. We, it's it's still rising, what, We six trillion more dollars in debt in the last couple of years. So people, you know, investors are gonna look at our debt and say, well, yeah, U.S. is very strong, but you know, they have a, they have a huge deficit and debt problem, and therefore, we need, if we're going to buy their bonds, we need more interest, and I think that's going to happen. I agree with you on that, Gene. I think it's going to happen. Let's go to Bill in Northern California.
8: Hi, Bill. Hi, right, Steve. Uh, hey, before I ask you about my stock, I don't know if you have enough time right now, but I was going to ask you about your, your main fund that you guys uh, run in your program and how much cash you have in it currently um, and, and and how that's changed from, like, last year, and have you more stocks in the last year, or just traded in and out of different ones, or what's
1: but, you there? know We have five different programs, and one of the most conservative is all bonds that we buy and hold to maturity. And the other uh, other end of that risk schedule is all stocks, one hundred percent stocks. And so it depends on which program you're talking about. And we have one that's. Uh, I would I'd be talking uh, about the stock the stock fund okay. specifically. Most of the stock funds that we have right now are almost fully invested. We probably have about. 10%, 12% cash left because we've been slowly putting it back to work, okay? So I think that, you know, you've heard me on the radio. I'm sure you heard just on the radio saying that this year is not going to be the greatest, but just like Warren Buffett, you buy when everybody else is a seller and you sell when everybody else is a buyer and everybody's still pretty nervous um, with the market right now. So we need to think it. you know, we... We think it's a good time to start thinking about getting back in the market full time. Okay, and you never should leave the market full time. We're going to go talk to Nick in Manhattan Beach. That's in Southern California. Hi, Nick.
5: Hi, Steve. Calling to uh, chat chat about, I guess, the topic du jour, which is um, the the coming debate over our uh, raising our national debt ceiling, and mm-hmm. just I basically want to talk about U.S. government debt in general. Um, we've been in a persistent deficit it's nothing new i think right. last year the government spends about you know 6 6.3 trillion dollars but we only take in about 4.9 trillion in tax revenues right. so we're spending more than we're making as a country yep. um, and i guess we we fund the deficit by borrowing obviously yep. but what do we pay back those borrowed dollars in do we i guess we essentially print it the federal reserve prints it Mm-hmm. And I, my question is, why do global investors who buy that government debt, why do they put up with us and demand such a low interest rate you know, is uh, it because that, go ahead. is it because we're basically the best option relative to other other uh, government debt that we're more reliable? Is it something to do with the u s Navy? Is it something to do with our system of checks and balances? I'm wondering what the difference
1: is. Yeah, the, the, the main reason is the U.S. dollar is a reserve currency of the world. It's solid and stable. Even in inflation terms, we don't have a lot of inflation versus other people's currency. Remember, the only difference is is, is a dollar versus the euro versus the Japanese yen versus the Chinese yuan versus the Mexican peso. Or the Brazilian peso? Which one do you think has less inflation and a stronger economy? This is so you got to step back and look at it from a macro point. What what currency and what country is the most stable? And and you have to answer us. Even though I'm just as surprised as you as we're getting away with murder with how much with a lack of how much we as people demand for our uh, interest rate for our federal debt. The government issues bonds, and they pay very, very low interest rates. It has been for years now, zero practically, and yet it's being purchased. Surprises the heck is me. It's not a healthy way to be, I can tell you that. Now the debt is going to cost a lot more, and we have so much of it, it's going to eat more and more into our tax dollars, but... Think about this. Doesn't our government want inflation because they can pay back the debt in inflated dollars in the future, which is worth much less than it is now with inflation? They kind of want inflation, don't they? I mean, how are they going to pay back this debt? They're not. They're probably not ever going to pay back the debt ever. They're just going to roll it more and more debt. At some point, they're going to have to. It's going to start affecting the economy big time, and they're going to have to do something. But it hasn't happened yet. Good question, though. Very good question. Appreciate it, Nick.
0: In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call. Invest Talk eight 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 ninety nine chart.
3: Hey Steve or Justin, this is Chris calling from Florida. I just had a quick question regarding the dollar and shorting it or going long the dollar. I was just wondering like how you guys go about doing that and what like the efficient way for a retail investor like myself would be to go about doing that, whether it's you know, buying some puts or some calls on some Indexes that track the dollar, and whichever way they're trying to go, um, you kind of go against that or with that. Any insight would be helpful. I appreciate it. Thanks for everything you do. Have a good one. Well,
1: you might want to look at an ETFs. The ETFs. There's a ETF UUP, which is an exchange traded fund seeking performance corresponding to the S uh, Investco U.S. Dollar Index Bullish Fund Index. Okay, bullish on the dollar. I mean, it's going to go up. You, know, you can use an ETF. This one's bullish on the dollar. I'm, I'm not sure there might be one that's bearish on the dollar out there. I'm not sure because I haven't looked. But you can even short this ETF, which would be bearish. You can short the ETF or go long this ETF, and there you go. It's very simple. It's much simpler than trying to you know, use uh, options and other kind of leveraged products this this to go you know straight long or short using this etf if you want to for some reason i want to say there's an etf that shorts the dollar out there the ETFs there's so many of them these days it's hard to keep up with all the different ones that are out there now if you have a question about a stock or an ira college savings plan well maybe buying a house mortgages reverse mortgages we're here for you eight 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 ninety nine chart 888 992 4278.
7: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey, can I have your opinion on
6: owning some big energy stocks like Exxon or Chevron versus owning this ETF, XLE? Thank you so much.
1: Well, XLE is the energy select sector spider uh, exchange rate of unseeking performance corresponding to the S&P Energy Select Sector Index. And that means you're going to have a lot of different energy companies in there. Okay, and therefore that will, you know, it, at one, uh, in some sense that's good because you're diversifying over a bunch of companies, and at some, at, in some, at some respects it's bad because you're you're, you're investing in uh, uh, companies that may be poorly ran or not be successful because it indexes a broad number of companies. I like Exxon and Chevron both because I like the dividends. You know me, uh, if you've listened to me, uh, I'm a dividend guy. Now, the problem is, is both these stocks have done very well, and Exxon's dividend now is only 3.3%. And I think that's a, not the best. And Sevron's dividend, dividend, as you mentioned, is 38 But take a look at their charts, and you see they've done very, very well in the last year or two, uh, especially with their dividend payments. <laughs> so I, I like the energy. People think... Uh, oil and natural gas is you know not the energy of the future and I happen to disagree that I think uh, it's going to be around 50 years from now these these companies will still be here you know I, I realize that we'll have a lot of electric cars but you got a big world out there and as more economies and societies get um, stronger they're going to need more and more energy okay and I understand a lot of it will be clean energy. I understand it, and it's true. But they'll need more than clean energy is not the solution yet. That it can maybe in the future because you can't you can't have across your landscape solar panels enough to power everything you need. You know, uh, wind wind is so unpredictable, and these are very expensive energy solutions right now. Very expensive. And natural gas
8: and oil are not
1: expensive, comparatively speaking.
8: Hello, thank you for your podcast. I have found it educational helpful over the years. I prefer lower risk investments. Uh, most of my investments in fixed income come with a large part of this being in treasuries, mostly short-term, three to one year. Because of the debt selling I'm concerned that I have too much exposure in treasuries if I should be selling some of my treasuries. Any help or guidance will be helpful.
2: Thank you. Well, if you are relatively conservative, right, Treasuries are pretty much the most conservative investment you can make. Now, they're not without risk. You've seen that with the the commercial banks. Uh, you are still subject to duration risk, right? There's no credit risk. You're not going to not get your money back, but you are obviously going to be uh, subject to a duration risk if you out too far. Now, you're talking about three to three to 12 months, that's not long duration. That's it's pretty, it's very short duration. So uh, I don't think you are having a lot there. Now, long-term, long-term treasuries are unlikely to be the best investment. It's usually going to be equities. And then in the bond space, there's likely to be better returns in things like corporate bonds. Now, both of those have a lot more volatility. But in an era where you know we have a lot of debt, and you go back in history and you say, "What's the, what happened the last time we had 130 plus percent debt to equity or debt to GDP ratio as a country?" Well, that was post World War II. What did we do? We did something akin to what Japan's done for a while now, which is yield curve control, right? Pinning rates at low levels so that we can inflate our way out of the debt, and that's likely the path forward for. The Fed. Now, are they executing that today? No, they're not. But I do think they will eventually get there. So right now, are treasuries a good risk versus reward? Probably, right? Short-term treasuries. yield curves right around, you know, in the mid-fives in the short-term. Call it one month. Then we go all the way down to about 5% going out one year. And so you're getting pretty decent yields right now but that's not always going to stay. Remember, you're not locking in that for multiple years. I could easily see a year from now where your 3-month treasury is yielding 2 or 3% if the Fed fully pivots to rate cuts. And then, you know, is that very attractive? No, no, it's not. So longer term, you're going to want a yield that keeps up with inflation. And so when we go back to, you know, fed funds rate's probably closer to 2 or 3 it's probably not going to keep up long term inflation. So that's where you want to take a little more risk, probably credit risk. High grade corporates, still pretty conservative, not as conservative as treasuries. So that would be that next step up in risk that I'd probably take with some of your portfolio when treasuries are no longer yielding, you know, five, five and a half percent. So that would be my number one advice if you want to stay more on the conservative side.
0: Thanks for the call. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.